For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Oh, man. And I didn't even do that on purpose. I did not even mean to start this podcast by saying, oh, man, I was ready to do some unconventional way of starting this podcast. I always say, hey, you listen to the Hoopball Clippers podcast, but... It just felt like this intro deserves something else. The first time ever the Los Angeles Clippers are going to the Western Conference Finals. And of course, you know that I've got to have my guy on, Justin Wilson, LA Clippers film, to chat about last night. He was there at Staples Center. We're going to chat about last night. We'll also preview the Western Conference Finals. So crazy to say that as the Clippers take on their friend, Chris Paul, who will probably not be in the lineup, um, and the Phoenix Suns. Justin, where are you at right now? Are you still on that high? Have you come down a little bit from it? Where are we right now? Um, I'm still I'm still on that high. Um, it's kind of hard to uh, really conceptualize not just the fact that they're in the conference finals, but the manner by which they actually got to the conference finals. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of been improbable to go down 0-2 against Dallas, to be down 3-2 against Dallas, then go down 0-2 against the Utah Jazz, then be down 25 in Game Six and come back. It's 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 a lot to take in. Um, I thought this team was one of the best teams in the league at their peak. Um, so them making the conference finals is not all that surprising but the manner by which they've gotten here has certainly defied all logic it's really kind of hard to explain it's wild uh i've been a fan since the very early 2000s around 2001 2002 is when i really started to be a fan of this team i was a ball boy for a game uh before the game started i was there on the floor as the clippers took warm-ups i was on the same court as elton brand which was absolutely crazy um, I was there for the series against the Denver Nuggets before the Clippers lost to the Phoenix Suns in the uh, series afterwards. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, at halftime, I texted my brother, who is six years older than me, and he doesn't really have a team, but he now kind of follows the Clippers. Uh, he follows the NBA in general, but he's just one of those guys that he'll root for the Clippers because I do. And I told him, I said, we'll see you Sunday for Game 7. It's just one of those things where, Justin, I'm sure you feel this way as well. I have seen this act before with the Clippers where they, A, have an injury happen to them. We've seen it time and time again, whether it's Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, um, Austin Rivers even getting hurt in the game. It just seems like whenever the Clippers have a chance, somebody gets hurt, and then it happens with Kawhi. And I texted you right afterwards, and I said, there's no chance they win. I just don't see it happening. And then they go down 
by 25 last night. And it's just one of those things where I thought they were cooked. They, they didn't look good. They looked awful, actually. I just did not think they looked good. In that first quarter, they were fine, despite all those crazy shots being made. But it just seemed like they had no answers defensively. Their offense wasn't working. They were playing Rondo when PG was off the floor. It just didn't seem like it was working. And all of a sudden, and this alludes to what you said earlier when we started this podcast, this is such a different team than what we're used to. I mean, the old Clippers are the team that blew the lead. They had that 3-1 series lead last year against Denver and blew it. They're, they are that team that gets injured, and that's the reason why they lose. But this team is so different. It's amazing to be a part of a squad that A, comes back from down double digits, comes back from down two games to none in the series, is able to win without their star, it's just such a different feeling. I'm curious because I want your honest opinion. When it was at half, did you think we were headed to a game seven? I mean, it's it's more likely than not at that point. I think it was a 98% chance in the third quarter at one point that Utah was going to win. Where were you in your thought that this team could pull it off? Because I'm sure you, like me, have felt that the heart has been tugged and pulled and just crushed time and time again. Um, I think anytime you're down 20 plus at the half against a good team, you probably are thinking that you're probably going to lose. Like that's just the standard nature of basketball. Most teams who most teams who get down by 20 at the half probably aren't coming back. Um, I was more so um, looking at, um, okay, I'm pretty sure we're going to make a run. Um, it, it would feel nice to go into a game seven um, overcoming a 21, 22 point deficit. And if we fall short at the end, at least we know like, hey, we have something to build off of for Sunday, even if it's on the road. So I didn't expect them to win, but I was hopeful that they would rely on what they've been doing all year, which is um, fighting within the face of adversity. And they did that, and then they completely um, became historic. What was but, it like to be there, by the way? Um, electric man, I lost, I lost my voice. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, it was special, man. Like, um, I, I've been, I was there for like Game Seven against the Spurs in 2015. I was there for like. 2014 game four against Oklahoma city when we had that like crazy comeback with Darren Collison. Um, I was there for all of those and um, I've never heard staples that loud. I've never heard staples. So even when we were down like 18, 20 people were still like trying to root them on. And um, you heard Ty Lue on a telecast at the end of the third quarter kind of speak to that when he was saying about how, um, the fans' energy kind of kept them going. And so I thought for the first time, you kind of saw what a home court advantage could do. And it kind of made me really proud to be someone to, like, kind of represent the fan base in this small way because, like, that was – it was it was a moment. And you kind of felt the energy all through the arena from, from like, the moment the doors open until the end. Um, it was fantastic to be a part of. And I've never heard Staples that loud – I've never seen it that jubilant for the Clippers. So um, it was special. Definitely something I will never forget for that's for sure. It was truly a different Staples Center from what we're used to. 
it seems like whenever there's a playoff game, Justin, there's always a part of Staples Center that is rooting for the other team. It didn't feel like that at all last night, which is so different from what we're used to. It seemed like it was a true home court advantage. And I think the only game that I can even equate it to, and you brought up a couple of really big games, I was there for the Austin Rivers game when he went absolutely nuts against Houston. For game three? Yeah, I think it was game three, yeah, right, I, against yeah, Houston? Yeah, game three. I was working that game. Were you really? Yeah, that yeah. was the best atmosphere that I have been a part of at Staples Center for a Clippers game. When he was going off and hitting those threes, it was unbelievable. But last night was just a different level. Everybody was rooting for the Clippers. Everybody had hope in that arena. And without those fans, the Clippers don't come back. And they were there rooting on Terrence Mann for every single shot. And that, frankly, gave the whole entire team just that extra lift that they needed to come back. It was unbelievable. I'm glad you were there. Um, I just bought tickets right after the game for Game 3, which will be the first ever home game for the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. So I'm absolutely stoked to uh, be a part of that. Um, and if you're there, we'll definitely have to meet up. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk about last night a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Terrence Mann, you and I on this podcast going into the series against Dallas, we're discussing eight-man rotation, nine-man rotation, who needs to be a part of it. And I remember asking you, so you just gave me eight or nine names and Terrence Mann was not one of them. Why is that? And so you were just saying, well, it just seemed like the other guys had certain roles they had to fill. Well, after game two, Terrence Mann all of a sudden was not a part of the rotation in this series. For him to do what he did last night, man, again, not intentional, was just unbelievable. What can you even say about a performance like that? Because I was a little worried because in the first quarter, I believe it was, he passed up on open three. And I was like, no, we can't do this. you got to take those. If Gobert's giving them to you, you got to take them. And for Terrence Mann to do what he did last night just shows that the Clippers have finally hit on a guy in the draft because this kid is something special. Um, So I thought that going into the playoffs, Terrence had been incredibly useful for the Clippers all season. He was somebody that him along with Nicholas Batum, who in my opinion, whenever they got big minutes, the Clippers simply just looked better. But going into the playoffs, you know, he's a second year guy. Um, I don't, I wasn't sure if Ty Lue was just going to be um, accepting of that and give him big, big spots, play him in big spots. Um, and then he played him in game seven against Dallas and he had a fantastic game. And for me, that was it. I, I was like, there's no way you can take him out of the rotation after um, after game seven. And Ty did. And we lost both games. And I'm not trying to say that like Terrence not playing. I mean, I'm not trying to say that Terrence playing nine minutes over the first two games of the series um, lost this those games but it definitely played a part and um i kind of tweeted about it going into game three that like nicholas batum and terrence Mann had to like they they had to stop messing around with those guys minutes they are too important to what we do and 
we ended up winning four straight once they once their minutes started increasing those two guys but um in regards to terrence you know what a story what a story it was it's it was, it's kind of fun to see a guy that the clippers drafted have that moment this is not a guy the clippers traded for this is a guy the clippers found late in the second round and he was able to have that moment and it kind of just signifies what the clippers have all about i mean it kind of signifies what they've become and um and the way he did it too like he's he was a 44% three-point shooter from the corners this year and the utah jazz basically said we're willing to die with terrence Mann um making these threes and he did it and it makes you really optimistic not just for his far future but in in the immediate future against the phoenix suns right like that sort of equity that he's built up through the playoffs will make teams res- will make the Suns respect him a bit more and it'll make the game easier for everyone else. Um but yeah, I, I couldn't be more happier for Terrence to have that moment. Um he's been good for the Clippers all year. The Clippers have been better with him on the floor all year. And I don't see why that would change even when um even in this next series. He continuously provides something that the Clippers just can't find anywhere else, which is somebody who's young, who has size and length, and he has pop and athleticism. He's finishing at the rim and he can knock down an open three. So, like, you know, kudos to him. And, you know, honestly, the sky's the limit. And who could have predicted this in December when the season started that we would be in the conference finals in part because Terrence Mann was playing 30, 30 plus minutes as a starter. This Clippers season has like, I'm at a loss for words. Like we're in the conference finals, but if I told you that we're in the conference finals because of Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann and Nicholas Batum and Paul George with no Kawhi Leonard, you would be like, huh? It just doesn't make sense, but I'm with it. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying with how this is just such a different Clippers team. And for Terrence to be as efficient as he was last night, 7 of 10 from 3, 8 of 11 on his twos, just unbelievable. An out-of-body experience to go and score 39 points. And I was talking to Shane Young on the preview for Game 6, and I said, I feel like this team's going to go as Marcus Morris goes. Morris goes out and gets 7 points. And he gets benched for Pat Beverly when they decide to ride with the Batum, Beverly, Jackson, George Mann lineup. And it's stunning because now all of a sudden, it seems like the Clippers really have at least seven guys that you can rely on, um, which is really important for this team. You obviously have the five starters from yesterday, and then you throw Pat Beverly, and I'm going to put Luke Kennard in there too, because I I like what Luke has brought to this team, and he didn't score yesterday. And I thought that this was going to be a game yesterday that Luke was going to be a big part of. But the Clippers had to ride their starters. We'll talk about that a little bit later as we preview the series against the Suns. Big minutes. PG played 46. But team man, it's just remarkable. And I'm so happy for him. And we're used to hearing his name in the preseason because he always does well. And there's that guy. And it's not often, Justin, that you can have a guy in Terrence Mann that not only is that spark plug, because you can say Patrick Beverly could provide that night tonight as well, but for man to be able to provide that spark on both ends of the floor and give that energy every single time he is on the court, I can't think of a single other player in the NBA 
that's like him. Can you? Yeah, I mean, he reminds me of Bruce Brown in Brooklyn. Um, they they kind of they kind of um, they kind of are like similar in that they occupy the same roles kind of for their teams, mm-hmm. where they uh they basically play the center position at like six four, six five, six six, or whatever their sizes are. Um, and they, they're like a jolt of energy. They're constantly finishing in the paint. They're con- constantly finishing at the rim. They're constantly setting screens and they're in short roll. They're filling lanes. Um, that's the, he, he's like a better version of like what Bruce Brown brings for, um, Brooklyn. If I had to think of somebody who he reminds me of a bit, but he has his offensive ceiling may be a bit higher, um, which is something that I've been thinking about over the last like week or two, as far as like what do the Clippers actually have with Terrence Mann? Because as the season is starting to like get into its final stages, um, he's clearly he's clearly a good player with with some potential, but it looks like he may be even more than that. Like like he's there's there's the makings of a really good player there and it'll be interesting to see um just how how he develops like i'm very intrigued to see how he develops and i think the clippers coaching staff this year um all have done a really great job with him and i'm really optimistic about his development um moving forward uh but you know i when I think about Terrence Mann, I also just think about this team in general and just how different they are than last year's team. Yeah. Um, just how, just on the point of like last year's Clippers were very much like every other iteration of the Clippers whose biggest weakness allegedly was their mental fragility. And in one season, they went from being mental midgets to peak to a team that can dig out of multiple 2-0 holes, which takes an incredible amount of mental fortitude, you know? So um, if nothing else, that's probably one of the biggest wins of the season to know that this Clipper team and this iteration of the Clippers – Fight. They're fighters. Like they're not. They're they're not going to quit on a game. They're not going to quit on a series. And that's an endearing trait to have, and an important trait to have, in terms of trying to win a championship. Because there's no there's no route to a championship where you're not going to be faced with adversity. You are going to be down two one. You are going to be down three two. It's the nature of NBA basketball. There's no champion that has won a title without being on the brink of elimination without having some serious adversity. So to know that this Clipper, this Clipper team can answer those um, questions. It makes me really optimistic, not just against the Suns or even if we make the finals, but next year too, like this team will fight. And that's encouraging to know. And it all starts at the top. It starts with the guy who is the head coach for Ty Lue to do what he has done this postseason. And he, he definitely made a mistake taking Terrence Mann out of the rotation. I think that was probably one of the biggest mistakes that he has made. I think but- p- playing Rondo... Um, has definitely been a mistake as well in certain areas. I think everyone bashing Rondo on Twitter, I, I do think that we need to remember how important he was during the regular season at points and how the Clippers aren't here probably without Rondo and what he did. I don't know about that. I don't think so. In game three, for, I mean, for either game three, game four, whatever he did when they did the Kawhi uh, pick and roll 
with that was game three. Yeah, game three. For, for him and Kawhi to do that, that won them the game, man. They were down 19 in that game. And Rondo was part of the reason why they came back. So I understand all the bashing on Rondo. And it's just the, I understand everybody was doing that before the trade deadline. And then when it happened, but he played well, man, when, when he came to the Clippers, he was really solid. And yes, he has been exposed. He has not had good games. I'm with you now. There's no way that you can play him with the way he's playing. But Rondo did contribute to this team. So I think there is one thing that we need to say. Um, I don't want to go into the whole Rondo thing, but it's just with Ty Lue is what I'm saying. It all starts mm-hmm. at the top. And 8-1 yeah. and one after going down 0-2 in both series this postseason. The dude just knows how to adjust, and he stays calm. I mean, Reggie Jackson, after they went down 0-2, not worried. PG wasn't worried. They would have been worried if their head coach was worried. But Ty Lue just stayed calm, and it's just remarkable to see what Ty Lue has meant to the Clippers, Justin. Yeah, I mean, like... My my receipts are there. I was very much happy when we got Tyloo yeah. because he was someone that I've always felt got the um, short end of the stick for his work with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, coaching LeBron is like that. You don't you don't get much credit when you win, and you get a lot of the blame when you lose. But I thought he was just fantastic with his adjustments in the face of adversity, willing to bench one of the one of the team's franchise guys like Kevin Love in like big spots in the finals or having the gall like he he did so much tactical stuff that I thought was just completely underrated. And with with Cleveland and I just felt that with Ty, you were going to get somebody who was willing to exercise every bit of potential within a team's roster. And I think that is more important than anything because as an NBA head coach, every NBA head coach is smart. Every NBA head coach has a fantastic game plan. They all watch thousands upon thousands of hours of film. They all know, um, they all know everything there is to know about basketball, but the differentiating factor is when you're down 2-0 and what your game plan is happening, what you what you what you prep for isn't working. And how quickly do you recognize that it isn't working? And how willing are you to adjust? And I think that's where Ty Lu shines. Ty Lu has a great game plan, but he's not married to anything. And he will and he is willing to try anything if it means getting the Clippers a win. And that's kind of comforting. Like like to 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 the point you said about Terrence Mann not being in a rotation, that was odd, and it was it was very bad. It was very 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 bad. Like he played one minute in game two, and then after the game said he wasn't in the rotation. Yeah. So the thing with that for me is just coaches, just like basketball players, just like anything in life, he, coaches aren't perfect. They are not perfect. And it's more important for a coach to be able to recognize and rectify his mistakes quickly enough rather than to always be right. And so I when I'm when I'm kind of evaluating a coach from afar, it's not that you mistakenly took Terrence out of the rotation. It's how long does it take you to get him back into the rotation? And he was back into the rotation um, by game three. 
um, it may have it may have cost us like two games, but at least he got to the point where he realized that Terrence needed to be in the rotation. You know what I mean? Like, like Vogel Vogel waited until game game six against the Lakers to finally bench Andre Drummond. You know what I mean? Like, so it it, it it's tough. It's tough. But um, I'm a I'm a huge Ty Lue guy. I've always been a huge Ty Lue guy, and it's really nice to see him getting his flowers because he's a fantastic tactical coach. Um, he he helped the Clippers go from like 22nd in defense earlier this year to where we finished, which was within the top 10. Um, he's just he's just really good, man. He's one of the best coaches that there there is in the NBA, and I'm happy that he's on our sidelines now. I don't think anybody has really talked about how Ty Lue made the change in Game 2 to put Zoo in the starting lineup. And then in Game 3, he quickly went back to the small there ball lineup. I mean, that's one of those things where – that's a very quick adjustment. He goes from the lineup that won him game seven against Dallas to start game one to then switching it in game two and going right back to it in game three. And frankly, the right choice because the Clippers should have won game one. They blew it because they were resting guys. You talked about Batum. Well, game one, Ty Lue said that, that he was just trying to watch the minutes for Batum because of how much he had played in the previous couple of games. And so he was trying to I, buy him some rest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that ended up costing them. But that was the right lineup because they should have won that game. So he went back to it for game three. And you talk about the whole Kevin Love thing and players buying in. Look no further than Reggie Jackson. We've talked about it time and time again on this podcast. In the second half last night, Reggie Jackson, 22 points, 10 assists, three steals, zero turnovers in 23 minutes. That's a damn good line for a full game. He did it in the second half, and there were a plus 34 with him on the floor in the second half. That's courtesy of Garrett on Twitter. Um, it, it's just unbelievable how good Reggie Jackson was. I mean, we talk about Terrence Mann. The Clippers are nowhere close to the Western Conference Finals without Reggie Jackson, which who the hell would have thought we'd be saying that after, That's the, series, crazy. after the series <laughs> against Luka? Bro, he, he was getting roasted by Luka last year, and we thought, dude, this guy can't play. All of a sudden, I mean, you have mentioned it. He's always been a good shooter on a yeah. catch and shoot, but for him to attack Rudy Gobert the way he did yesterday just absolutely sensational and I don't care what his contract is going to be after this season it's one of those things where you reward a guy for what he's done and Reggie Jackson most likely is going to be overpaid after this season but for what he has done to this team it really it's priceless man it's priceless what Reggie Jackson has meant to the Clippers um it, <laughs> it's Reggie Jackson, I'm I'm really struggling to try and find the proper words to describe the arc of a season that he's had this year for us. I mean, going into training camp, he didn't have a deal with the Clippers, and he didn't have a he didn't have many suitors league wide. Like there was a real chance that he that was it for him, um, and. You know, and Andrew with the L.A. Times wrote a really great piece on Reggie, and it was about how he almost retired. Like, it was almost over for him as an NBA player. And so to go from that to, like, where he is now is just a fantastic story. And by all accounts, he's a really great guy, really easygoing. Um, he's someone that's very easy to like. And 
he's just for one a fantastic shooter like that's a late career change where you you get you make money in the nba when you can hit 40 percent of your threes and I, I he's at this point where it's not a fluke like he's he's had enough like shots with the clippers where it's like oh we have a, a point guard who can hit 40 percent of his threes and has a little juice as far as like off the dribble and can get in the paint and i think you know, one of the things I'll say is that he was on the team last year and he shot the hell out of the ball last year. Um, he, Ty Lue empowered him. Ty Lue empowered him. I mean, excuse me, Ty Lue empowered him and he believed in him. And when a coach believes in your abilities, um, that goes a long way. You know, um, Ty Lue was communicating with Reggie the entire season and that you can just tell that like the players have responded really well to Ty and Reggie is one of them. And that's something his contract is definitely something that I'm sure we'll get into um, in later pods. Um, he's got he's got some questions that um, are are going to be are going to come up. But, you know, he's there is no price for what he's brought to this Clipper run. And I'm anxious to see where 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 does this all end? Like, does this end with Reggie Jackson winning the Finals MVP or something? Because at this point, like, who knows, man? He's 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 been fantastic. I think he's shooting 50, 44, 92 from from the field over this playoff run for 17 a game, and that's like, I I I certainly didn't think he would be anywhere close to that. So um, he's just another another point to point to when it comes to how how wild this Clipper season has been. Like, I I definitely didn't see this coming. No, unbelievable. 10 of 16 last night, 3 of 7 from 3, uh, 27 points, 10 assists, 3 steals. And I just want to make a couple quick um, notes. Nick Batum last night, we're not going to talk at length about him, but you mentioned him earlier, what he has meant to this team. And it's one of those things where we usually don't talk a ton about Nick Batum, but he is the glue guy for this team. And, for what he has done, 16 points last night, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, 3 blocks, 6 of 9 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3 in 40 minutes. What he has meant to this team, along with Pat Beverly, who mm-hmm. last night was just stellar again defensively, and he hit his threes finally, 3 of 4 from distance. He had 12 points, 4 assists, 3 steals, and a block. He had 4 blocks, I believe, the game before those two guys I want to pair together. And one more thing about Pat Beverly, courtesy of Joey Lynn, Donovan Mitchell, and defended by Pat Beverly this series, 45 possessions, 10 points, 23% from the field, blocked five times. So clearly, we knew Pat Beverly was going to be important in this series. Pat Beverly, Nick Batum, you need to have guys that are stars, Justin, but you also need to have those other guys that are straight up glue guys. And Nick Batum and Pat Beverly certainly fill that role on this team. Yeah, I mean, it was it was just a year ago where Patrick Beverly was maybe the third or fourth best player on the team for yeah. the Clippers, and he was very important. And he was a real reason why the Clippers kind of flamed out in a bubble because he was not healthy the entire time. So it was kind of a full circle moment for him last night to be able to have such a big impact, hitting like three threes and 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 playing fantastic defense and being a part of that moment because this ever since he he's come to the Clippers, he's been one of the more iconic um, images that you think of when you talk about the Clippers since Patrick Beverly 
um, has come on the team. He's kind of synonymous with the Clippers now. So it was nice for him to get that moment. And I think, like, Nicholas Batum may have been the first. I mean, he may have been the best defender on the team this year. Um, better than Kawhi, better than Paul George. Um, he's he he does it all. If you need him to play center, he can play center. If you need him to do some point, he can play some point. He'll make a spot up three. He'll slash. Um, he dunked on Bojan last night. Like he he does it all, and he fills in the gaps so well. And he he makes the Clippers so much better, way better than anyone could have imagined. Um, I for one am hopeful that he comes back more than Reggie. I'm 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 hopeful and wish I'm wishfully thinking that he'll be back with the team because he is one of the guys that. Um, coming into the season, we wondered whether or not he still had any juice left after how his um, career in Charlotte flamed out. Um, and he's more, he certainly does. And we're going to need him against Phoenix. We're going to need him next season if, if we have him back. And like, you know, I've just become the biggest Nicholas Batum fan. And I'm just so much more confident when he's on the floor that everything's going to be okay. He's like the ultimate security blanket. Um, he can do a little bit of everything. And his quiet leadership has also been a joy to watch. So those two guys, Pat and Nico, man, what more can you say about them? They, they, they've been tremendous and I'm, I'm hopeful that they're both going to have big roles in this next series as well. Both 32 years old. This is certainly a team that's got its veterans. Reggie Jackson, by the way, is 31. Sergi Baca also is 31. So this is not a team full of spring chickens. So when you have a guy like Terrence Mann that does what he does, um, it's certainly important, and yes, those guys are just huge to what the Clippers do. And um, the next thing I want to talk about is a conversation that I saw on Twitter, and I, I want to preface it with a tweet from your brother, who I'm just finding out that Jamal Christopher is your brother, at Clipper, Clippers 24-7 on Twitter. So the Clippers went down 0-2, Paul George over the next four games, 31.8 points per game, 9.3 rebounds per game, 5.2 assists per game, 48% from the field, 44% from three on 8.5 A per G, I'm assuming that's assists per game, and 61.6 true shooting percentage. That leads me to this, and it's a conversation that I think is worth having now, and I think we can have it even more down the line. Are Kawhi and PG the greatest Clippers ever after leading this team now to their first ever Western conference finals. I'm curious to get your take and then I'll weigh in. Ooh. Oh, wow. Um, I've yeah. Tough, right? Yeah. I mean, it ultimately it's about, so if it's about peak as far as like team success, then obviously no doubt, right? Like, yeah. They 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 went further than any Clippers ever had. So on that on those grounds, yeah. Um, obviously, guys like CP3 and like Blake and um, you know Elton Brand, yeah. um, those guys have had like sustained multiple year careers with the Clippers, which allowed them to do more. Yeah. Um, as far as like more moments, but um. I definitely believe Kawhi Leonard is the best Clipper I've ever seen. Like yeah. it doesn't, I, I don't need, I don't need any more years to, um, to tell me that like he's, he's clearly the best Clipper that, that we've ever seen. 
And Paul George is right up there. He's this playoff run is probably better than just about any playoff run from any Clipper that I've seen. Um, so yeah, I would, I would, I would be there. I'm with, I'm with it. Yeah. It's a tough conversation and it's one that I've been thinking about because what Blake DJ and CP did for the Clippers and how they just made them a team that was a constant winner. I saw a tweet from Arash Markazi that I believe over the last 10 years, the Clippers have the third best winning percentage in the NBA. Third best. They have been an, a winner the last 10 years and it started yeah. Because of that group of CP, Blake, and DJ. And of course, you bring up Elton Brand and the Clippers, what they did in the um, early to mid-2000s with him. And it's interesting because for what those guys did to the Clippers and to get them the wins and to put them on the map, it's just like saying what Doc did for the Clippers and helped them build a winner. But I still think Ty Lue is actually the better coach than Doc Rivers because of what he's done this season I'm willing to say that right there, I think that it's 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D right now between Kawhi, PG, CP, and Blake. I think all four of those right now are on the same line. And anything that those guys do in the Western Conference Finals to lift us to the finals, and most likely probably won't see Kawhi, but who knows, um, it, it's, it's there, man. Those guys and what they have done for this team and for this franchise and the fan base – I'm willing to put it right there because it's it's something that you weren't sure would happen anytime soon, getting to the Western Conference Finals, and those guys are a part of it, and you certainly need to reward them, and that's why I'm willing to put them right there, Justin. Um yeah, I whew, I'm I'm gonna be honest. I I have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard above them. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I I mean and that's they, fair. They, that's they did it. Yeah. They did it. Like, yeah. like they they went to the conference finals. Um, Kawhi Leonard now has two consecutive playoff runs that are like they rival like stuff Michael Jordan did. Yeah. And Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Elton, none of them have a playoff run even close to what Kawhi did this year. Correct. They don't have a playoff run as great as what Kawhi did last year. And I yeah, I, I I definitely think Kawhi Leonard has done enough to be the Clippers' best player in franchise history, and that's kind of the that's kind of an indictment on the franchise a little bit. But hey, yeah. that's that's who we are, and you know, I I value the fact that like they got it done, like as far as like breaking through that second round and getting to the conference finals, they did it, and for Paul George to do it the way that he's doing it um speaks speaks to it right like yeah i i i i hear why that's kind of a sensational thing to say but paul george is averaging 26 8 and 5 for in over 13 games and he's gotten us into the conference finals that's already a better playoff run, in my opinion, than anything Blake or CP have done. When you factor in the individual um, success along with the team success, hmm. and those two things to me trump whatever whatever else that they've done. Interesting. Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me to what Blake and CP did um, in a couple of those playoff runs, but I, I think yeah, man. I mean, for CP. Obviously, the game winner against San Antonio was unbelievable, but for Paul George to do what he did, 
the last couple of games. Just that by itself for a team that frankly should have lost at the series tied two apiece to win the next two. You certainly got to give Paul George credit and you got to reward him. And so you, that's why I have him right there. Um, before we get to the Phoenix preview, folks, I'm always talking about my friends over at mybookie.ag. Ever since I started this podcast, people are asking me for betting tips. Who you got? Are you taking the Clippers? Do you think the Clippers are going to win this series against the Suns? Because right now they're coming in as an underdog in game one. I tell people that I'm betting with my bookie. The rep is rock solid. They've got the best odds, contests, and promotions in the business. All different sports you can bet on. If you wanted to bet the Clippers in-game last night, you could have done that, and you could have won some nice coin because they were a big underdog when they went down 20-plus. They've also got games like Blackjack. It's simple. Sign up, enter the promo code HOOPBALL. Get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. That's the promo code HOOPBALL. Get your deposit matched up to $1,000. Head over to my bookie if you want to add a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best. Bet with my bookie. All right, let's talk Suns Clippers because this is a series that is very difficult to handicap right now because as of recording at 445 on Saturday afternoon, Chris Paul is still in protocol and Kawhi Leonard is not making the trip to Phoenix. We saw a video last night of Kawhi Leonard without a brace in the tunnel walking, which stunned the hell out of me. Chris Paul, you would think he would have tested negative by now if he did indeed get vaccinated. We have no idea what the hell this series is going to bring to us, Justin. But what we do know is that the Clippers are going to rely on a lineup that is Batum, Morris, Jackson, George, and Mann, at least for now, with a lot of Pat Beverly and Luke Kennard sprinkled in your initial thoughts on this series because I still think the Clippers are the better team it obviously hinges on what Chris Paul um, is able to do how many games he plays you would assume he'll be back for game two or game three and that will be huge for the Suns I think the Clippers need to win game one if Chris Paul does not play what are your initial thoughts on this series because it's a very interesting matchup and you already know that Booker and Bridges or Booker and Crowder are going to become the next Clay and Steph because somebody's got to do it <laughs> on the Suns. And, and you got to assume it's going to be Booker, Crowder, and Bridges, two of those three. Um, but yeah, what are your initial thoughts on the series? Um, I was more afraid of the Utah Jazz than the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Um, just go, just because of Utah's home court advantage and the fact that Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. Um, a healthy version of those two um, had some pop and some dynamicism off the bounce that was very hard for us to contain all year. Um, I think I like the matchup against the Phoenix Suns. Like I may be in the minority on that. Um, we, our defense is so full of a bunch of wings that can switch four and five positions yeah. that Chris Paul's signature elbow shot coming out of drop and pick and roll just isn't there. And that nullifies a lot when it comes to Chris. Um, having him face a bunch of like, he there's nowhere to go, right? Like CP, if he gets a screen, it would be Marcus Morris on him. Then it'd be Nicholas Batum on him. Then it'd be Paul George on him. So I, I'm optimistic about this matchup. Um, I do wonder if and when fatigue starts to set in because we've played a ton of games now and now we're going into another series that's every other day again. Stupid. So like so stupid. Yeah. 
they're 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 jamming everything for the Olympics. So yeah. um, I get it, but I I do wonder where the fatigue factor starts to like really come into play. But I do think it's and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. Um, of course, Chris Paul's health is above all. Like yeah. I really hope that um, he's not he's get he's getting well. Yeah. He's getting a proper treatment. Um, you know, COVID is not a joke. Um, and does, so does he have I, I really, symptoms by the way? Cause I, I haven't heard anything about that. It seems like it's been pretty tight lipped with him because the chances of him testing positive while being vaccinated are very slim, like 0. 0.000 type slim. Um, and then getting symptoms are even more. So have you heard anything about him? Because it really seems like if he is telling the truth that he was vaccinated, that he's probably experiencing no symptoms and he's just willing to test negative. Um, I've heard some stuff through the tea leaves that, um, there's not, a, there's not, people aren't so sure that he's vaccinated. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard some stuff about, you know, he's, he's battling COVID, like he's having a bout with COVID. And, um, and if that's the case, um, that's unfortunate for, for him from a, from just a personal health perspective. Yeah. Um, but that's also a grandiose opportunity for the Clippers. This Clipper team can absolutely split one of these first two games against Phoenix without Chris Paul. And I honestly, if Chris Paul doesn't play in either of the first two games, I'd be disappointed if they didn't. Yeah. Um, this is a gr- this is a grand opportunity, and I think the Clippers can take advantage. Um, I'm interested in seeing the DeAndre Aiden factor in the series. Yeah. Um, you know the Cl- the Clippers aren't a secret anymore. You know they're going to lean on their small ball. Um, DeAndre Aiden has had a monster playoff so far. Um, how that matchup, DeAndre Aiden versus a Clippers small ball, um, how that matchup shows itself is going to tell a lot about the series. So um, that's something that I'm looking at. Um, I'm I'm anxious to see um, how many de- different defenders we throw at Booker. Um, I'm sure we're gonna treat we're gonna treat him much in the same way we did Mitchell, yep. just by switching it up. Like, and that's what I thought Tyloo was really great at with Donovan Mitchell. Um, you saw him trap him at times. You saw him throw some zone at him. You saw him like full court press deny him sometimes. It it was really a a master class in how to switch up coverages against Mitchell, and he still had a fantastic series against us. So I'm anxious to see that against um Dev Devin Booker. Um, but I, I feel I feel good about this matchup, man. I feel better about this matchup than I did against Utah. Um, and Paul George has been a monster against Phoenix this year. I mean, a monster. I think he's averaging like 33 a game in the three games that we played against him this year. Um, he feels good. He feels good about the Phoenix Suns. And I don't know if Phoenix has an answer for him. Um, it'll be a little it'll be a, it'll be a lot harder without Kawhi, but like all in all, I'm I'm optimistic about this matchup for sure. Yeah, me too. And it's interesting because um the Suns have a couple of guys who can defend in Crowder and in Bridges. And Crowder, by the way, you saw a couple of dirty plays from Joe Ingles. Crowder will do the same damn thing. So expect to see that when the Clippers take on the Suns. If they don't have Chris Paul, I don't think they can win the series. If they have Chris Paul, I think that it's very much a coin flip. And I think a lot of that has to do with the amount of the minutes the Clippers have played so far. You brought it up. Um, but I do want to talk about this DeAndre Ayton thing. That's actually the first question I have on my notes. My question is, can the Suns afford to play Ayton against the Clippers' small ball lineup? The offense, obviously, for Ayton is better than it was for Gobert. And I, I want to bring up some numbers quickly before we talk about 
that matchup from Shane Young. The five-man combo of Jackson, Mann, George, Batum, and Morris play a total of 37 minutes across the final two games, outscored Utah by 19 while shooting 15 of 28 from deep, 53.5%. In the series clincher, Louie used Pat Bev instead of Morris. In the nine total minutes that Bev, Jackson, Mann, George, and Batum played together, the Clippers outscored Utah by 12 points while shooting 5 of 7 from 3. This lineup certainly can shoot the lights out, Justin. The question is, are they okay against DeAndre Ayton? And I'm certainly interested to see. I feel like, yes, Ayton is better offensively, but I feel like the Clippers can do the same exact thing against him defensively. I don't see why that would change with Ayton versus Gobert. What are your thoughts? Um, Phoenix as a whole... All right, they're they're a bit more versatile defensively, yeah. just because it not just Aiden, but like Bridges, Crowder, Tory Craig, they are worlds better defenders than like Clarkson, um, Bogdanovich, and Mitchell. Like they 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 that alone is going to make the dynamic um a bit different. But in regards to Aiden, I think it's one of those things where you put your best foot forward and adjust. Kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Um, it's not about getting it right first. It's about being able to recognize when it's not going right and when to adjust. Like, like how quickly do you get to that moment of truth where, okay, small ball isn't working and let's adjust. Thankfully, I think the Clippers have all the answers um, on the roster, I feel totally fine going, um, throwing Zoo out there um, for for some minutes against um, DeAndre Aiden if necessary. Um, but I, I initially I don't think Aiden scares me enough to go away from the small ball look just because it's been so dynamic, so potent, and Nicholas Batum has basically been a savant the entire playoff run. I don't think you go away from that. I think you put your best foot forward and see if Phoenix can handle that. And if they can, you adjust. But um, I think ha- assuming that they'll be able to handle that is 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 another story. Um, and on the other end of the floor, um, DeAndre Aiden is going to have to prove to me that he's a monster and that we need to be bigger up front. He's going to have to prove that to me. Um, he's had a really great playoff. Um, he's, he's a really good young player. But... Um, He's not someone that I'm going to automatically just adjust what I do. The Clippers' best lineup right now is their small ball lineup, and I think they should stick to it until Phoenix forces them to adjust. Here's my question on Zoo. Can't the Suns do exactly what Utah did and get him in that high screen and switch, Um, and especially if CP is healthy? I feel like I can see that time and time again with Chris calling for a high screen and getting switched with Zoo on him. And then just doing his patented Chris Paul, a big man is on me. I'm going to cross over and I'm going to hit my jumper from 16. Can't the Suns do that with Zoo on the floor? Yeah, but the difference to me is that Donovan Mitchell and Luka Doncic were doing that and getting pull-up threes out of it. And three is worth more than two. Um, I would I would be cautiously optimistic about um, Zoo in that scenario. But it's just something that you play by ear. Like, if it's not working, then you adjust. But um, as long – I mean, Chris Chris is somebody that his off-the-dribble three ball for, for a variety of reasons hasn't really been there in the playoffs. 
And for me, that that's a good sign. That's a good sign for the Clippers. And if if the Clippers get into that scenario, um, I think they've grown through the playoffs to be able to um, handle that situation. Like they are much better now than they were in Game One at running at guys and trapping them with in late clock scenarios and getting the ball out of their hands. So like if zoo is on a switch with Chris Paul, or if he's on a switch with Devin Booker, the Clippers are more likely now to just run two at him hard and get the ball out of his hands and shock their defense in a rotation. And they, and that's one of the best things about this Clippers um, playoff run is that these reps that they've gotten against Dallas and Utah have allowed them to progress as a defensive team as the series has gone on. I mean, as the playoff has gone, the playoff run has gone on. So I'm optimistic that whatever problems Phoenix may pose, the Clippers are now way more suited to adjust on the fly. They're really good at problem solving. So I'm if that situation presents itself you could expect to see book and cp um seeing two and three guys and the clippers being in rotation and i'm fine with that in case anybody is wondering about the suns and their three-point shooting in the four games against the nuggets eight of 22 in one game 12 of 26 in the next 18 of 38 and 13 of 34 so the suns are surely capable of of taking and making threes. And it really just does feel like this series, Justin, is going to be what the Clippers do offensively. Are they able to get those looks in the corner? Are they able to hit their threes? Because if they are, I feel like the Clippers win. Because I just feel like the Clippers are the better team in that regard. What are your thoughts on that? Do Do you think it's possible? Is it as simple as saying that it comes down to what the Clippers do offensively? Yeah. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head for me, um, not just in this series, but the entire playoff run. Yeah. Um, for me, for me, like when you have, whenever you look at the Clippers are struggling, <laughs> they normally are struggling to score. Yeah. And um, scoring leads to your defense, man. Like they 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 go together. And if you want to defend well, by by scoring the ball at a at an elite clip, which the Clippers can do, that allows your defense to get set. That allows you to play five on five. Um, so it is that simple. It is that simple. The Clippers are one of the best offensive teams the sport has ever seen. If we're if, we're, if statistically, if we're if we're being honest, so as long as they're hitting on their automatics, as long as they are shooting the ball the way that we know the Clippers are capable of doing. And sometimes those that's something you can't control. But as long as they are shooting the ball the way that they're that we know that they can, and as long as they're playing with some pop and some vigor offensively, uh, everything else will take care of itself. Because when your offense fails you, um, when your offense fails you, that's when things start to happen because you put so much pressure for your defense to be like elite every single possession. And that's just, that's just a hard bar to maintain given the quality of competition this deep into the um, season. You know what I mean? Like expecting your defense to hold up every possession against Phoenix or Utah, you're just asking for it. You're asking for it. So um, you need to be able to like consistently hit and punch first offensively. And I think the Clippers 
have gotten better at that as the playoffs have gone on. And, um, yeah, it's all about their offense. It's demoralizing as hell when the Clippers are doing what they did last night in the second half. When they're hitting those threes, it is demoralizing as hell. The same way it was demoralizing when Luka was hitting his threes and Tim Hardaway Jr. was hitting his. And when Donovan Mitchell was going crazy and when Bogdanovich started a blazing fire, six of six or whatever it was. I mean, it's demoralizing when you hit a three. And to your point, Chris Paul is going to hit those twos most likely over Zoo. But it just, there's something about a three-pointer that just gives so much more momentum for a team. So I certainly do agree with you. Before we take a quick look at game number one, Father's Day is tomorrow. The weather's catching heat, whether you got a dad bod or rocking a six-pack. Make sure that you and your dad are smelling nice and shaved wherever it matters most. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 and the Refined Cologne by Manscaped. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0 and Refined Cologne is perfect for you and the dad in your life to complete your grooming game. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Do you travel a lot? If so, the 4.0 is perfect for you at home and on the go. The upgrade trimmer includes a multi-function on-off switch that can engage in a travel lock. Also, it gives you the ability to turn that LED spotlight on and off whenever needed for a more precise shave. Whether it's a gift for you, your dad, or the man in your life, choose Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. That's the code HOOPBALL20 for 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. All right, Justin, quick look at game one. What are your thoughts? Because the Clippers obviously have played a ton of minutes. I mean, you look at last night, and by the way, ridiculous this game is tomorrow. It should be Tuesday. The fact that the Clippers and Jazz are going to, or rather the Clippers and Suns are going to play two games before the Eastern Conference Finals even starts is moronic. They should have started this on Tuesday and given both teams rest because you're asking for a major injury with the amount of games that you're asking the Clippers to play right now. It's just stupid. Um, But giving the minutes, Batum 40, Morris 29, Jackson 38, George 46, Man 36, Beverly 27. The Clippers had six guys that played double digits yesterday. That's not going to happen in tomorrow's game one. The minutes just have to be taken down a notch. We saw that with Batum in game one against Phoenix. What are your thoughts on tomorrow's rotations? Because it really certainly feels like the Clippers need to figure out a way to get some of these guys some rest, in particular Paul George. I'm not sure if you can do that with how bad they were yesterday with him sitting. Um, I mean, he only sat for two minutes, and they were just horrendous. What do you do with the minutes? Because it feels like you got to play Zoo 15 to 20 tomorrow. Um, You probably have to play Rondo and hope that it doesn't kill you. You certainly have to play Luke Kennard. My guess is at least 15 minutes tomorrow. Um, What do the Clippers do with the minutes? Because it's a tough, really, act to balance because you have to juggle the minutes and keeping those guys healthy and not killing them going into this whole series that you got to win four games. And also, you got to win game one. With Chris Paul hurt, you got, or rather, Chris Paul battling COVID, you got to take advantage and win game one. So, how, if you were Ty Lu, how do you manage the minutes tomorrow? Well, knowing this Clipper team, they can just throw the first two games. It'll be all good anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're playing, ju- we're, we're playing, scrub, we're playing scrub for thirty minutes tomorrow, man. We are you doing know, it. Let's punt the first two games and let's <laughs> let's get our legs back. No, nah, um, you know it's it's you you play it by ear. Um, I think this situation is unique because without Chris Paul, 
there may be some time where you can steal from Paul George yeah. um, with with once Devin Booker goes to the bench or something like that. Um, ironically enough, this may be hopefully a game that Rondo can help us with Paul George off the floor. I know he's probably going to get a chance. Hopefully it's a good shift for him. Um, so, yeah, I, you, you kind of play it by ear. Um, and the hope is that the Clippers come out using the adrenaline from Friday to like jump on the suns early. Yeah. And so we can get a cushion and that cushion will allow us to kind of steal some time from Paul George. And that's, that, that's what I'm hoping now, you know, we'll see what happens if, if, if it, if it goes awry, but, um, you know, that, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm looking to hit first so that, we can get Paul George some minutes, um, some rest. And I think we will. I think we will. I think that adrenaline from game five, I mean, excuse me, that adrenaline from game six will carry over to game one. And that'll allow us to at least buy some time for Paul George at the end of the first quarter, the start of the second quarter. And, and we'll, and we'll go from there. For what it's worth, Devin Booker in game one played 38 minutes. Chris Paul played 36 in game two. Devin Booker ended up playing 33 minutes. Obviously, that one was a blowout, so you can't really look at that. Devin Booker played 40 in Game 3, and he played 42 in Game 4. So I think the reason why I bring up Booker is because I feel like you got to match Booker with PG. So I feel like if he plays about 38 to 40 minutes, PG's got to play 38 to 40 minutes. Um, I tend to agree with you that it just feels like Rondo's going to do something. I mean, he's been awful, obviously, but it just seems like he's going to do something. But... The Clippers got to be careful when they put in Rondo and how they surround him because the lineup that they put in yesterday just didn't yeah. work. It, it didn't work at all. I think you need to make sure that when Rondo's on the floor, um, you got to make sure Pat Beverly is on the floor. You also got to make sure that you got some scoring on there. You got So Reggie Jackson, I think, has to be on the floor. I think Marcus Morris has to be on the floor. So the, it'll be interesting to see what Ty Lue does, but I don't want to see anybody play more than 38 to 40 minutes tomorrow. Um, I'm sure it's possible that it can happen, but you got to be careful with the minutes. And Ty Lue's got a job ahead of him. I think you may see DeMarcus Cousins tomorrow. Um, yeah, I agree. I think when Aiton's off the floor, I think that's when it makes sense to put in Cousins, uh, possibly. Um, it's, I mean, the Suns, their backup center is, are they Dario Saric? Are we saying that's their backup center? Um, it, it doesn't feel like they have anybody that they go to. Frank Kaminsky doesn't play a whole lot. So, I'm not even sure it, that would you play Cousins against Aiton or would you play him against Sarich? Because I'm not sure you can put Cousins on the perimeter against a guy like Sarich. What do you do there with Cousins? Um, Cousins is an interesting question because I don't know what he what exactly went what I don't know what's the more advantageous lineup for him. Each whether it's Aiden or Sarich, it's gonna be it's gonna be rough. But I, I I like him against Sarge, right? Like maybe in that maybe in that second that second unit, um, he can get like six baskets, Lord. Yeah. I mean, like three baskets, yeah. get us six quick points. You know what I mean? And and he's done his job, yeah. and I think he's certainly capable of that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that um tomorrow, just for the simple fact that from a Lex perspective, like if we need Nicholas Batum in the back half of the series to play like 
um, 40 to 44 minutes yeah. in a, like a game five, a game six or some, we can't start the series that way, you know? So um, I think, I think I like, I like that matchup of, of DeMarcus and Sarge just from the standpoint of he's not going to stop them. Um, but Sarge isn't that great of a three point shooter, at least from, from whenever, whenever I've watched them. And um, I like I like the fact that you can throw, throw the ball on DeMar- to DeMarcus on the block and maybe he gets like some points and he, he does his job and he, that allows the rest of the starters to get some, get some much needed rest during, during those um, time periods. Sarge shot just under 35% from three this season. So I think you have the ability to test it out and see how he does against Sarge. If he sucks, then I think you just bring him in and play him against Aiton a little bit. Um, and, and I think you just kind of go and see how it flows and what makes the most sense. I think Kanar needs to produce tomorrow. I think Zoo needs to produce tomorrow. If the Clippers are going to steal game one, they're going to need production from guys like Kennard and Zoo. So I'm curious to see what happens in game one. All right, predictions. I think that if Chris Paul is out um, for more than two games, I think the Clippers win this one in five. And if Chris Paul is healthy and he comes back for game two, I think the Clippers win this one in six, um, maybe seven. But I'm not sure that it just feels like this is a season where whenever you think things are going to go wrong for the Clippers, they find a way to turn around and to go and come back from down 0-2 twice in a row and then lose in the Western Conference Finals just – Mentally, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me and how the story is supposed to go. So what are your thoughts? Um, I, I I think I have a clips in six regardless. Interesting. So uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Chris Paul does not matter to you. You're, you're saying clips in six no matter what. Uh, I, it's, it's, more, it's more or less that I think the Suns can beat the Suns without Chris Paul. I think simply can beat the Clippers twice without Kawhi. Um, but I think the Clippers are the better team without, um, without Kawhi and without CP. But um, I don't know. I just, I think the Suns all year, they've been really good without Chris with in the minutes that uh, I don't have the, the stats in front of me, but with Devin Booker on the floor and Chris Paul off the floor, they're still really good. Okay. Um, they, they, they're, they're still formidable. Um, and I think they're capable of definitely taking like two games off of the Clippers um, without as without Kawhi Leonard. I don't think they can win the series without in that in that situation. And so I'll say Clippers in six. But these first two games are going to mean a lot because if Chris Paul doesn't play in either of the first two games, which I think is a very real possibility. I know Brian Windhorse. Um, on the on the Hoops Collective podcast, um, like earlier last week, mentioned that he said if Chris if the Clippers ended the series against Utah on Friday, that the earliest Chris Paul could come back was probably Game Three. And if that's the case, the Clippers can certainly take both games in Phoenix. And if they take both games in Phoenix, then that changes everything, obviously. So um, I'm really anxious to see both games in Phoenix. I got the Clippers in six, but I think there's a distinct chance that the day they could take both games to start, and that would um obviously change everything but my official prediction would be clips and six bro you realize that both of us just predicted the clippers to go to the nba finals right yeah man like 
that it's wild to say <laughs> that's that it's kind of wild to say but like yeah you know i um i don't think it's irrational but no i guess you could say i'm irrationally high on this team yeah and i have been all year oh like, you you have they, been you've been optimistic they, from the start you, you told me that when it was 2-2 that they're going to come back and they, they certainly have a chance to win like they are i and when we came to U- when we came home for game three against Utah, I tweeted one of the things that you have to remember about this Clippers ball club is that they are really, really good. Like it's very easy to get caught up in the salacious headlines of it all, like, oh, can they blow a three one lead? They don't have the mental fortitude, yada, yada, yada. The reality is that this team was a top five offense and a top 10 defense and had a top three point differential for the entire season. Like this team should be a team that threatens to make the finals. Now, obviously, without Kawhi Leonard, that kind of that that drastically alters their margin for error. But this team is like really, really good. Like they are. They are tremendous, and um, that's not me being a homer. That's just the reality of it. Like, Reggie Jackson is having an outstanding playoff run, but this is now, what, two straight years with the Clippers, including the both playoff runs where he shot over, like, 40% from three? Like, they're really good. They are really good, and they should be predicted to make the finals in most scenarios, especially with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, without him, I can understand why you'd be um, more pessimistic, but yeah. I, I, I'm I very high on them, and I think for good reason, and it wouldn't shock me at all if they beat the Suns in five games. You brought up Kawhi, and that's where we're going to end this podcast. Um, he has been ruled out for game one, no surprise there. He did not have a brace on, um, and when he was in the tunnel for the post game, and he watched the game in a suite and then came and celebrated with the team in the locker room, you know better than me on this one. An ACL sprain, if that is indeed what he has— is there a chance that we see him? Because it certainly feels like if this was a very serious injury, they would have already ruled him out for the year and he would have had surgery. Um, so where are we right now with his health? Um, I I think it's just best to assume that Kawhi Leonard is out for the series. Yeah. Um, like, I, I, I what, think... What about Wind the Force- NBA Finals? What if they make it to the fi- NBA Finals? I think there's a chance he comes back okay. like maybe the second half of the uh of the finals should they make it. Okay. But like you gotta think, it's an ACL sprain. Yeah. And like the worst thing you could do is do what the Nuggets did with Jabal Murray, yep. which is play him while his knee was sore and you end up tearing it. Yep. And now the entire next season is ruined. You know what I mean? Yep. And and so like I I I think the Clippers are gonna proceed with extreme caution. Because an ACL sprain is not something that you want to just like, okay, it's been two weeks, let's throw them out there. I think they they proceed with extra caution and that alone probably rules him out for most, if not all of this series. And they kind of table it and revisit it should they make the finals. That's how I'm approaching it. Um, I'm not, I'll be honest, I've heard that there is some optimism that he may come back at some point in this Phoenix series. Should yeah. it go long enough? But I don't believe it. I'm, I'm not, a, I, I don't believe it. 
Um, just the fact that Kawhi Leonard has an ACL sprain in his history with lower body injuries, mm-hmm. that suggests to me that they're going to be extra cautious. He already is extra cautious with with his body and the way he approaches his health. So um, I I just I'm just going with the mindset that he's done. And if he plays, that's great. But um, that's something that um, I, I just don't. I, I'm just not optimistic that he comes back for this series. Um, it's an ACL sprain. Like it's 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 not something you mess around with. Just for the simple fact that you don't want to like you don't want to tear anything. So um, I'm I'm working as if he's not coming back. Yeah, same here. It, it certainly seems like this is more of a. Kawhi really wants to come back and the player thinks that he can, but the Clippers need to be careful with him because of course he wants to play. It's the playoffs. He wants to play, especially if they reach the finals. He wants to fucking play in the NBA finals. I mean, it, that's why this is where we're at right now. So uh, we'll have to see what happens, but Justin, this has been a Mondo pod, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Justin Wilson at LA Clippers film on Twitter. This has been a good one, my man. Uh, I, I appreciate you having me on it. This is the historic podcast. Like we'll never be, a, you'll never be able to say, um, I did, I, I, I was a participant in the second, you know what I mean? Like yep. this is the first ever conference finals preview. Like that's never been done. So, um, it's historic and I'm happy to be a part of it. And, um, Hopefully, we have some more history to celebrate within the next week or two. Yeah, it's only right that you are the one that is the co-host slash guest when the Clippers make their first ever Western Conference Finals. So, big thank you, everybody, for listening. Clippers square off against the Suns, 1230 in Game 1. Hopefully, you're able to get a chance to listen to this one um, before the Clippers tip off. Obviously, this pod still will be relevant and exciting forever because the Clippers have finally reach the Western Conference Finals. So for Justin, I'm Brandon. You can reach me on Twitter at BD Marcus at Hoopball Clips is the Hoopball Clippers Twitter account. Until next time, congratulations to the Clippers for reaching the Western Conference Finals. And go Clips! For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.